Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It's that time of day again. We have you sit back. We relax and we enjoy our day. Give you three martinis. We give you the good, the bad, and the crazy. And uh, Jim Garrity's here. I'm Greg uh, Corumbus. is filling this week. Uh, Chad Benson. You can follow me at Chad Benson Show. And Jim, let's start first and foremost with the good. Uh, we're talking debates. And uh, how did the GOP do uh, debate-wise? Well, last night was a very big one. But I guess you could even go back to Friday night, the highly hyped, highly touted uh, showdown between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. Chad, one of the ways I knew this had gone well by her, for Herschel Walker was how little I was reading about it on Saturday morning. If Herschel Walker had had a bad night and Raphael Warnock had mopped the floor with him the way everyone expected between this eloquent preacher and this uh, former football player who, let's face it, is less than eloquent and who uh, had had been struggling to articulate his message and then had the abortion ac- you know, accusations and all of that. Um, but the fact that there wasn't any narrative of this, and in fact, most people on mainstream media kind of downplayed it and didn't have anything to say about it, was probably an indicator that Herschel Walker did indeed have a very good night. Um, and then the whole bunch of yesterday, like it's interesting, you could argue, you know, Walker, J.D. Vance, a bunch of these guys are not necessarily the safest or easiest to elect guys. And yet none of them have had a particularly bad night of debates. And in fact, almost all of them have had good ones. Uh, we probably should also throw in uh, Stacey Abrams insisting she'd never questioned her election result. What? you know? And then Evan McMullen uh, turning in and getting laughed at on the stage. Uh, up against Mike Lee in Utah. Uh, so you add it all up. It's been a it's been a good couple of nights. And you can't really point to anything. You're like, ah, the Republican candidate, he just blew it in that debate the other night. You know, I will say, uh, I mean, I think it would have been a much better night had uh, Walker not brought out his prop, the badge. Mm. Uh, but here's a question for you, Jim. And, and I keep saying this. This should be a walkover right now. I mean, normally midterms, party in power is going to lose some seats. But, you know, Mitch McConnell said uh, some bad quality of candidates. This should be something where the Republicans should be up in many of these places by 10 plus points. I feel like they're making it much harder than it needs to be with some of these candidates. I would generally agree, or at least I'd say up until the last couple of weeks, I would have said, yeah, you know, these guys were selected because they were they won their nominations because they were either celebrities in the case of Herschel Walker uh, or they were endorsed by Trump. I think it's safe to say that he definitely put J.D. Vance over the top. Um, but I, I kind of feel like these most of these candidates have gotten better. Now, maybe this is just the natural instinct of Republicans coming home uh, and and you know unifying after the primary. But I also think that, look, this is an environment that's really good for Republicans, right? Inflation is really high. We just got a big, bad inflation report. Uh, the problem at the border is really bad. Crime is really bad. Uh, people are upset about schools. These are all big natural environments. And the Democratic candidates, very often their response is abortion, 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 January 6th, Donald Trump, abortion, abortion, abortion. And that's just not where people's you know concentrations are. So in this sense, I think the Republicans have the easier argument to make. Biden is screwing it up. Democrats have been controlling government. Democrats have been controlling Congress. Haven't you had enough? Isn't it time for a change? And you can be a J.D. Vance and you can be a Herschel Walker and execute those types of strategies pretty darn well. 
Yeah. Uh, well, again, it's going to be very interesting to see how this thing plays out, because as we all know, we may say something in the uh, when somebody calls us to talk about polls and this, that and the other. And it seems really close. You never know until you actually vote. And I feel like the momentum is moving in a direction to the right. And I think the Democrats in their fervor uh, peaked way too early. Yeah. And, you know, fervor is a bad habit. Good health starts with good habits. And Quip makes it easy, delivering all of the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. Now, remember, the Quip electric toothbrush is loved by more than 7 million mouths because it's got timed sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide you to a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. It's got a lightweight and sleek design with no wires and no bulky chargers that weigh you down. It's got a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount, so there's less clutter around your sink. And it's got reusable handles with a range of sleek metal hues, including best-selling all black and all pink, as well as bright plastic colors that are sure to give a pop to your bathroom counter. Now, if you go getquip.com slash martini right now, you'll get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash martini. Now, for those of you, I'll go nice and slow if you're going to write it down. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. Quip is the Good Habits Company. Yes, it is the Good Habits Company. <laughs> uh, Chad Vincent in for uh, Greg Columbus. He's back uh, next week. As always, Jim uh, Garrity is here. Read a really interesting piece in the Washington Post. It's not bad piece by a guy named Jim Garrity. Are you guys related? I'm familiar with him, yes. You know. Uh, He's a source very close to me. Yes, yes, I, I hear uh, a really interesting piece about a lot of what's going on in Saudi Arabia. And there's a lot that we can we can you know run around and talk about, but we have this weird world uh, relationship with Saudi Arabia of we're pissed and we're angry at them, Jim, and they're pariahs. At the same time, uh, let's build a bunch of stuff to help you guys with warfare potentially in the future, especially with drones. Yeah, so I you know the Washington Post was kind enough to publish this op-ed, um, regardless of how you feel about how the Biden administration has handled the relationship with Saudi Arabia, there's no getting around it. MBS went out of his way to screw us at the most recent OPEC plus meeting, uh, calling for a reduction of up to 2 million barrels a day. It's probably going to be a little bit less than that, but that was very clearly a middle finger directed at us. And uh, you, you know, however you feel about the Biden administration, you probably shouldn't like the idea of alleged allies acting against our interests and making kind of going out of their way to uh, make things harder for us. So there are all kinds of ways and there's Democrats calling for shutting down all arms sales, to Saudi Arabia and things like that. And there are a whole bunch of, you know, maybe we want to do that. Maybe we don't, but there's a very simple move that I'm kind of surprised hasn't happened yet. It was a little bit earlier this year, the Pentagon and central command uh, announced plans for what they were calling the red sands uh, missile testing and air defense testing facility. This is going to be built out in the Red Sands area of uh, Saudi Arabia, and it's kind of meant to echo the White Sands facility in which the U.S. tests missiles and air defenses and things like that. And the idea was we would do this. It would be a joint operator between us and the Saudis. It would help them with their air defenses. They've had some drone attacks on their oil infrastructure that uh, uh, basically were launched by Iran, and obviously the Saudis are very concerned about their air defenses. And so if you wanted to have a long-term stable military relationship with the Saudi Arabian kingdom, you would want to have some project like this. And it's conceivable that someday in the future, a project like this will make sense again. 
But if MBS is going to go out of his way to screw us, well, then no, we should not be doing this. And what's great about this is that as of right now, I called up the Pentagon. They said this is all in the conceptual stage, meaning it's planned, but nothing. they haven't broken ground. Nobody's spent any money yet. So we can say either this project is canceled or we can say this project is put on ice. Maybe someday we'll do it again. But as long as you guys are trying to screw us, we're not going to play ball with you. We're not going to build a joint military facility. Oh, by the way, when this was first uh, mentioned back in the midsummer, I, I wasn't immediately opposed to it. But it is worth remembering, and, and Chad, I think you're around the right age to remember this. When the U.S. had a lot of U.S. troops on Saudi soil leading after the uh, Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait back in 1990, Operation Desert Shield turned into Desert Storm back in 1991, and there was a semi-permanent, or I guess you could say lasting, U.S. troop presence on Saudi Arabian soil. Well, this uh, this irked some Saudi Arabians, including a guy named Osama bin Laden. Now, this doesn't mean the U.S. should never have troops on Saudi Arabian soil, you just should recognize that, you know, this is a little bit different than your usual partnership uh, with a foreign government. And besides everything else, Jamal Khashoggi, everything else, there are a whole bunch of reasons for the U.S. to be wary about our relationship with the Saudis. This strikes me as the no-brainer. This strikes me as the quickest, easiest way to say, oh, yeah, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. There's no sunken costs. Nobody's broken any ground on this yet. Uh, surprise, the administration hasn't gone with this yet, but I guess maybe it's just a matter of time, Chad. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I believe uh, uh, Osama bin Laden said, uh, once the Americans are there, they will never leave. And ha here we are all these years talking about this. The weird <laughs> thing about this relationship that we have with Saudi Arabia is they have an issue that we also have in Iran. And we all benefit from them not getting some sort of nuclear weapon, not to even mention what's going on in Yemen and the fears of what could spread throughout the Middle East and, and being unsettled. So it's this odd world of one thing is business and one thing is geopolitical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, you know, very difficult cross purposes here. And I think my colleague Andy McCarthy had a really good editor editorial in National Review arguing that in the end, this, 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 the root of this problem is making so much of our relationship with Saudi Arabia surrounding Jamal Khashoggi. That in the end, as what, as terrible as it was, what they did to that guy, luring him there, killing him there, dismembering him. Um, ultimately, the U.S. Saudi Arabian relationship is bigger and more complicated than the you know what happens to one man, and that's you know that's why Biden's had to say, oh, I'm going to turn them into pariah as a candidate, then as president, he's got to back away from it. We're going to sell them some arms, but not other arms. You know, our, our policy is a bundle of contradictions, and you tend to not get what you want when you're, you know, always fighting at cross purposes with yourself. Chad Benson in for Greg Crumbs. Jim Garrity is always here. We've given you your good, your bad. Uh, and by the way, go check out that uh, op-ed piece in the Washington Post by Jim Garrity. And now let's give you the crazy. And I like what you put here when we were talking about this. Uh, it's working the refs. And uh, we found the Giselle that's not the supermodel that is working the refs. And that's uh, Mrs. Fetterman. <laughs> As I just said to one of my friends, Chad, this has been a big week for wives named Giselle. Um, this is referring to Fe Giselle Fetterman, the wife of uh, Pennsylvania Senate candidate for the Democrats, John Fetterman. As I'm sure our listeners know, Fetterman had the stroke back in May. He's having what seems like a... Uh, recovery and fits and starts less than ideal. And there was this NBC report in which, you know, um, that correspondent Burns said, quote, during some of these conversations before the closed captioning was rolling, it wasn't clear he could understand what we were saying. 
Well, unsurprisingly, Republicans chose to spotlight that observation and Democrats and a whole bunch of allies in the media just flipped out and said, oh, my goodness. But what's real, it's unsurprising Democrats would say, hey, don't write that. Don't say that. You know, you're not helping our side. Um, But what's really been interesting is the degree to which Giselle Fetterman, the candidate's wife, and what Rolling Stone called the de facto candidate, which is not not an encouraging sign for uh, John Fetterman's recovery. Um, Fetterman, Giselle Fetterman has criticized the interview now multiple times, and she's called for the correspondent to be punished multiple times. And now she's done an, an interview with the independent over the UK. Um, and she said, quote, if this happened in a school, if this was a child that was ableist towards another child or teacher, there would have been issues stated. There would have been new training done. What is being done at the media after a reporter came out so openly ableist towards a person? I think shocked and appalled, but sadly not surprised. I know there's still so much to do, but it would be great to see some accountability to actually see real change. Uh, Chad, I don't know about you. I look at that entire quote, and in addition to an unprecedented degree of attempting to work the refs, so she's conceding her husband is disabled, correct? Yes. Yes, she is. I mean, disabled in the sense that without the teleprompter, without the the, uh, closed captioning, he can't process the auditory words. Now, I've heard people arguing about whether that's kind of the equivalent of needing a hearing aid, but it's it's clearly not. Clearly, he can hear. It's whether the brain, having suffered the effects of the stroke, can adequately or quickly process the sounds that are coming in into words so that there's understanding of what the words mean. It's entirely possible that when he hears someone speaking in his brain, it's not clear. It's it's kind of gibberish. It doesn't, it's not connecting to the neurons that know what those words mean. Now, look, I hope John Fetterman lives to be a hundred. I hope he uh, you know, recovers fully and quickly, but I think it's pretty obvious. He's still dealing with some serious issues because of this. And I think what really is the bigger issue here is the fact that, you know, he had this stroke on the Friday before the Tuesday of the primary election. Didn't put out a statement at all until Sunday. It was a very brief Sunday that said he had made a quick recovery and that there were no neurological issues. Then about five hours uh, with, with five hours until the polls closed on Tuesday, his campaign announces that he's having surgery to resolve issues with that. And oh, by the way, uh, later on, they say that the stroke was life-threatening. On election night, Giselle Fetterman says he had a little hiccup. It was a lot more than that. One of the reasons Democrats are nervous and nobody really believes that Fetterman is doing fine is because they've already lied about this. And that's what makes I I think the public's being very Pennsylvanians are not hard hearted people. I think they're very understanding. They've all known somebody. They all want to see John Fetterman get better. But once you've been not been honest about it, then all of a sudden it's a question of, okay, I can't trust you. And what else can I not trust you on? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And again, it's you don't have to bring it up all the time, but there's a fair question. And when dealing in serious matters, how are you going to be able to do it and that we can trust that you're understanding everything that's going on? There are other Mm -hmm. ways to hit John Fetterman. He is a uh, a 50 something who never had a real job till he decided to destroy some small little town by being mayor. He's got uh, mom and dad who have taken care of him for the rest, you know, for a vast majority of life. And oh, by the way, he's a big fan of schools, just not choice. His kids go to private schools. There's plenty you could hit him on, but this is a serious question because I would expect this, even if it was a Republican, you have to ask the question are you capable of doing the job at hand? And all yeah. that lady did when she talked about it on MSNBC that day was, I told the truth. 
He didn't quite get what was going on when we were speaking until he could read. That's not being rude. That's just telling the honest truth about what happened right then and there. Maybe he gets better, but the reality is there's nothing wrong with asking questions because everybody seems to be so concerned about Trump with his weight and is he in good shape or not shape. This guy had a stroke. Mm -hmm. That's serious. I've had uh, several people that I've known, family members and stuff who've had strokes, and they did not recover as well as this guy, but it doesn't mean this guy's ready for prime time. Yeah, there really is a dynamic. It does feel like gaslighting. It does because like we we can see John Fetterman. We know he's not doing long sit down interviews with lots of people. We know he's not. You know, he's when he speaks, he speaks for about 10, 12 minutes. Sometimes he gets through it smoothly. A lot of times he has some issues. But the other thing is, I think most people know people have been through strokes, and they know it's tough. They know that this is not you know uh, something you automatically bounce back from quickly and easily. That oftentimes there are lingering neurological issues. And I, I, you know, the other thing which I kind of want, you got to wonder how Connor Lamb feels and uh, that other, the other Democratic candidate in the primary. We're like, wait a second. This was an issue days before he hit it. You know, Connor Lamb, I don't know whether he'd be winning, but he wouldn't have this issue. You kind of, this is a situation that is entirely the making of the Fettermans and the Fetterman campaign. And Pennsylvania Democrats are banging their heads against the wall over this. Um, anyway, we will see what happens. But I think the idea that, you know, uh, this this NBC reporter was bullying a disabled person by observing what the candidate could and couldn't understand uh, is kind of an uh, that that's what qualifies it as our crazy martini of the day. Absolutely. And the big question is, aren't they debating what the 25th or 28th? Am I correct? That is the case. Now, I went back and I looked by historical patterns. There won't be a ton of early votes uh, cast by then. But that having been said, if you have any doubts, you probably want to watch that debate before you cast your ballot. Which, again, could be uh, changing, especially for the Republicans. I mean, it's weird to say that Dr. Oz is maybe picking up some steam, but Dr. Oz is maybe picking up some steam. He's Jim Garrity. I'm Chad Benson in for Greg Columbus. Always fun to do the three martinis with you. I think we had some good. We had some bad. We had some crazy, as always. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, my man. See you tomorrow, Chad. A lot of the media just doesn't cover the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York with The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I discuss how the border crisis is continually getting worse and the administration is only concerned about accommodating the illegal migrants who enter the country and not facing the real problem of stopping them. Don't forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast. I don't talk about every single issue, just the ones you need to know the most. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.